I'm not so sure if from a human-centered perspective we will have this big breakthrough, but I expect rather a gradual improvement and a, a gradual growth and change in our working practices. And this change will go gradually because it's very deeply rooted in culture and the way we work with each other and the way how we interact. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines and the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in to our geeky podcast to discuss the fascinating field of AI and machine learning, corporate craziness, passion for technology and the role of humans. We are Uli and Avery, your hosts for this episode. And for our session today, we reached out to a genius mind outside of the corporate craziness. That's how we like to call it. So outside of the Siemens cosmos. And we thought, why not put a little twist on our podcast and maybe bring in an academic perspective? So today we're very keen to learn about what it means to develop AI systems that put people at the very core. And we'll learn about how design thinking can be used in the AI space, what role ChatGPT plays for educators and researchers, and why it is so hard to put AI into productive use. But most importantly, we'll get to know him better and learn about his story. And let me introduce you to Professor Dr. Benjamin van Giffen, who is our genius mind on the show today. He is an assistant professor for information management, and he's also the head of management at the AI Lab at the University St. Gallen. Benjamin is passionate about human-centered innovation, so a real design thinking expert, I'd say. He's curious about business-grade AI and AI-enabled digital innovation, what's building a network of trusted partners focusing on scaling value-driven AI. And besides all of this, he also teaches and supervises different students um, in impact-oriented research. And we can't wait to get to know Benjamin better and learn more about him, his research and his passion. So Benjamin, it's fantastic to have you on the show. And I'd suggest we start off with something to get to know you a little better. So maybe in brief, um, can you tell us who you are, what do you do and what actually first sparked your interest in the field of AI? Yeah, thank you very much, Aubrey and Uli, for the kind introduction. And thank you very much for having me on your show. Uh, my name is Benjamin, I work in St. Gallen, and uh, I'm quite excited about the topic that we can speak about today. Um, as you mentioned, I'm an academic and therefore I'm quite research focused and my work focuses on that key question on how companies can generate value with artificial intelligence. So I'm not a magician, I'm not an algorithm wrangler or so, I really focus on the managerial concepts that help organizations to reap value. Um, of artificial intelligence to generate that. And uh, I got excited about AI already during my PhD a couple of years ago when I studied how large digital platform providers like Facebook and eBay and Amazon and so on uh, leverage the data that consumers generate to build outstanding customer experience that really outperform many of the things that we had before. And uh, privately, of course, uh, when I had several aha moments, the first time I could just photograph uh, my credit card and all the information on it was immediately 
usable in an app uh, and many other moments where I thought, wow, that's an incredible technology and I think it's really worth to dive deeper into that. Today, I think AI offers many new opportunities to create value, but at the same time, I think we need to manage it responsibly. We need to manage it well. And with this, I mean to manage it professionally. And this is what I'm focusing on. Oh, pretty dope. Benjamin, great to have you actually, right? It's good. Finally, we have you on the show, right? It took a bit of a while. But it's um, yeah, absolutely right, right? It's, it's Somehow it seems to be that AI is invisible now, right? Right under our noses, right? Everywhere pops up AI and in all processes. And you, you you shed a light a bit of the consumer tech already. What do you see? So we talk, we are, we're called somehow human and AI, right? What, what would you mm -hmm. say is the relationship between the human interface and, and the AI interface technology wise? I think it's a wonderful question. Um, first of all, artificial intelligence is probably one of the most controversially discussed technology that we have. Some admire it, mm. some hate it or some fear it, mm. but very few people don't have an opinion about artificial intelligence. Mm. And in my work with executives, Uh, and with business and data science expert, I see every day how each person has a very different understanding of what AI is and what it can contribute to a company or what it offers. With controversial, I mean the potential for misinformation is high, right? Mm. People can really get it wrong easily. At the same time, you can get excited about the technology also very fast. And I think that the human and AI aspect, both aspects, is this intersection is the most important intersection to look at. I think the potential for misinformation is high. And at the same time, especially when you're an engineer or a data scientist, it's very easy to get excited about the technology. So human and AI, both aspects, create a very important intersection. And I think we can only realize the value promise of AI when we leverage AI strengths to meet user needs. And mm. I this is where I see the connection between human and AI. We need to think about the fantastic ways by which AI can help us to augment the capabilities that humans have to solve relevant problems or to realize entirely new ways of value creation. And while doing that, we need to account for the human and social context. We really need to make sure that the context, the social context in which we deploy this technology is uh, recognizing and appreciative of the technology. To do that, For example, we have um, developed a unique program, corporate innovation program at University of St. Gallen, which we call Design Thinking for AI. And here is exactly where we try to combine that, the, the, the strengths of design thinking, user-centered research, user-centered design for generating data and AI innovations so that we can solve real challenges uh, of humans or of companies uh, and solve them uh, by, by meeting at the intersection of AI strengths and user needs. Right, you touched already. So as a geek, right, I, I imagine, right, research and academia and teaching in AI and machine learning, oh, we, let's talk about neural nets or talking about machine learning or maybe robotics and, and so mm -hmm. on, right, or knowledge representations. But you're coming from a different twist, and that's kind of interesting, right? A bit of the design thinking, and you call it also design thinking for AI, right? Mm -hmm. What the hell is design thinking for those outside, right, the corporates which may have heard for the first time? And what does this idea and effects are contributing to the context of design thinking for AI? Can you give it a bit of a, um, you know, a, a deep dive in it? Yes, absolutely. Design thinking is an innovation method 
that puts the human and it, her, her needs at to, into the center and as, at the starting point for generating innovations. So that means when you are leveraging design thinking method for an AI innovation, you don't start with, we need AI to solve this or that problem. Instead, you spend a good amount of time uh, with users, with your target user group, customers or employees, to learn about their problem world, to create empathy with their problem world, to really understand the many, many whys that drive, drive their behaviors and their decisions. And only once you have understood this as a foundation, you start to think about ways that can help address the challenges uh, that are emerging in, the, in person's uh, personal context. Or, or, or company context, of course. Mm -hmm. And the role of AI here is comes then in when you think about the systems and the data that is occurring in the problem space, that is available in the problem space of users. And then when it comes more to the solution part, developing solutions through creative ways, having the small little nudges and also tools and approaches that help you uh, to Think about ways how AI can be part of the solution or can be the solution to these human problems. Thank you very much, Benjamin, for that um, very elaborate um, explanation of design thinking and the relation to AI. What um, I often come across uh, when um, like reading about AI is like, for example, also the World Economic Forum, they had an um, they had a report uh, that they brought out where they said like in the future, one of the major human skills will be creativity. So creativity is something technology or AI cannot really replace. But would you agree with that? And where do you see the relationship between AI and human creativity um, evolving in the coming years? Yeah. Thank you very much. It's another great question. Uh, first of all, I don't think that we need to look very far into a distant future that we cannot imagine to understand the importance of that relationship. We don't need to look very far. In fact, if you looked at the most recent developments, I mean, the last one or two years, mm -hmm. AI-enabled tools like DALI for image generation or ChatGPT as a very powerful conversational agent that can write texts for you. Yeah? They have acquired over 1 million users in a couple of days. And there are generative tools that support you in your writing. Right? Uh, so it's very easy to see already today how these tools can augment uh, our capabilities as humans or stimulate our intuition and creativity. So it's, I see this as a very close and fruitful relationship. Of course, it comes with a dark side. When you think about how a DALI model is trained, there is some data that has been used for training that data. So there is some intellectual property involved as well um, from which patterns are extracted through machine learning and based on which such creative images are generated. And this applies to text as well. And this offers a whole new set of challenges as well. But in general, the relationship between human creativity and AI is very big and it offers also great potentials. 
Yeah, you mentioned already ChatGPT, right? Let's go into the roof, actually, right? <laughs> Currently, you know, you don't, you know, you know, every every LinkedIn post I see all on Twitter, everybody's like, whoa, whoa, how excited, how awesome. Hey, I've used it with these applications, right? And mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that, you know, the maturity and I think the smartness of AI applications can be seen on the NLP and the natural language processing side. So, but... Um, this has also maybe application and implications on the academic context, right? There is there's news about even, you know, in local newspapers where teachers suddenly write like, oh, how do we deal now with our, you know, students? They can, you know, build up their research and their teaching aspects in there. Maybe for both sides, right? For, for students as well as for the academia folks. Mm -hmm. How do you see that? Is that a danger that GPD-3 writes all the theses now and your next PhD student may have just, you know, prompted uh, an efficient, you know, uh, search uh, in that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think this is really funny. Uh, what we can see on LinkedIn, how much is posted, everybody's posting. And uh, no, I am not, uh, uh, I'm not uh, fearing this. In fact, uh, we cannot, we cannot ask our students not to have a look at these tools or not to use these tools uh, just because as as professors or as teachers, this drives us out of our comfort zone. Mm. And uh, having, a, of course, there is a natural tendency to be defensive on that point and say, well, uh, you might not use that for writing your thesis. And I'm sure, we, of course, we don't have um, a governance or regulations around that, but this will emerge soon, I'm sure. And I'm afraid that, that, that these might be quite conservative when it comes to technology use. Yeah. Uh, but in general, I think that the quality of output that people can generate will mm. increase using these tools. Mm. And as teachers, we need to find ways that uh, help our students, but also to help ourselves to enhance the quality of stuff with, that, that we can create. Mm -hmm. So ChatGPT is the next to Wikipedia. <laughs> right somehow the next level interaction of making a decent grammar in uh, outside of the whatsapp uh, you know um, uh, language syntax it is so much more efficient asking yeah. gpt3 for for an answer mm. uh, than it uh, and looking in looking uh, as opposed to uh, as compared to wikipedia mm. that how can you justify not to use the tool you cannot mm. afford that in a digitized extremely fast and quite competitive digital space. So you would actually welcome um, your students using that and it's not <laughs> cheating in a way when I like if I use it like to support me prepare my paper or prepare my next presentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would not have this uh, white uh, black and white distinction and to encourage people to use that mm -hmm. uh, but I uh, that's what I mean is I think there will be some governance maybe not regulations but some go governance is likely to emerge on what is acceptable use and what not um, and i would be very reluctant to forbid it and i would expect students to really draw on the resources that they that they can have to enhance the quality but to be honest if you are doing a good job as a teacher uh, in supervising thesis you have as i have here in uh, on my desk absolutely unique pieces of great work. Mm. 
and these are and you're developing that with together with your students to a good extent you work with your students on a regular basis and you have a very good understanding of the capabilities of a student i don't see my job as somebody examining the intellectual capacity of the students but rather uh, helping them on a growth mm. trajectory and, and in St. Gallen we have a great students with a fantastic growth trajectory and trying to elevating them to a high level of intellectual independence mm. right so what GPT is, uh, is, is giving out as input <laughs> might rather stimulate their thinking uh, mm. because these students can write right um, yeah, I also see a massive uh, potential actually in there that it can also like spark um, creativity or different thoughts or give you um, different impulses that, that like in the end you as a human have to combine that with your previous knowledge to create something new. But like it can just like, yeah, uh, push your thoughts into a direction where you maybe haven't thought about before. Mm -hmm. So um so we talked briefly now about ChatGPT, but are there any more like exciting developments in the field of AI um, that you're maybe currently uh, working on or following closely that you would like to share here? Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. I think there are uh, tremendous opportunities emerging and they are not only coming from the technology side. What um, with exciting developments, of course, there are these ChatGPT3 uh, coming from OpenAI companies that are heavily funded, have the best developers, uh, data scientists in the world. They have access to resources that very, very few organizations have. And of course, we will see some of these moonshots of these innovations that are built on basically unlimited amount of resources. What I find quite exciting as a researcher, a management researcher in that space is how organizations can transform drawing on these opportunities. So what I'm excited about is probably not what every data scientist might be excited about, but what I'm excited about is how organizations now innovate their processes and operations to run AI professionally, to create value, and also how to move more towards the scaled deployment in organizations. I think this is very exciting for me uh, and, and I think it's also highly relevant for organizations um, because um, firms do not necessarily benefit immediately from the from the from a chat GPT innovation. In fact they will likely have to pay for the for the use of their API. But building the capability internally is highly important also, uh, to secure the competitiveness of the business for many organizations. The other part that I find very exciting is that I call it, or we call it the democratization of AI for business transformation. How can we enable business people and finding new ways to enable business experts, domain experts, uh, and finding strategies to make AI to them more appealing? So not considering the technology as something for a for us intellectual elite for mathematicians physicists machine learning researchers but how can we make ai more relevant and appealing for broader audiences beyond the data science experts and by the way siemens is a great example of how this is happening i and you probably know many more examples how where this has been realized very nicely the third part i find interesting is the scaling how organization can advance from organic growth of individual or tactical AI use cases to the, to the more 
to the broader adoption, to the systematic adoption of AI to advance their business transformation. And I know this is not the placative technological advancement, the breakthrough, but this can be the breakthrough for organizations in their transitioning towards an AI-driven future. You shared already, you know, that, that it's, you know, um, sometimes very challenging of businesses and organizations integrating AI, right, right. Um, yeah. in, in their operations. Can you share a bit of a best practice? How do you do that? What's the role of ethics? Is that a thing? Is the, do you hear that already from, from client engagement? How do you make that sustainable, actually integrated, right? What kind of op operation model is? How do you work that, you know, out? What do you, what do you hear from all the clients? Yeah. Uh, well, again, I think that the human-centered approach goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And with human-centered approach, I mean really respecting and integrating uh, the different responsibilities and skills and capabilities that the various stakeholders have. So domain experts, business domain experts typically can contribute business and problem understanding. They have a quite a good sensitivity for the ethical aspects and what it means to operate a business sustainably. That's very much in the realm of domain experts, business experts. Then we have data scientists who build AI models and research about adequate methods. They're very much in statistical optimization, stochastical optimization. And then we have IT professionals who provide software tools and platforms. So when you ask me, how can organizations adopt AI effectively? My answer is that we need to bring these roles intelligently together. We need to find ways in improving the collaboration between domain experts, data scientists, and IT professionals. And I think this is where the biggest gain is to expect. And do you also see a great potential, like if we, um, if we use this approach and bring in different experts with different uh, backgrounds, that uh, this way we can also use AI in a way that is um, sustainable, um, like ecologically, but also uh, economically for the future? I think that's the only way we can sustainably use artificial intelligence. And sustainability here has, can have two different uh, perspectives. Using AI sustainably means that I do not just throw resources into the development of machine learning models that never go into production. That's the sustainable use of resources um, in the development and use of AI systems. And then we have um, AI for sustainability. That means we build applications uh, that use the AI and other digital technologies to improve the, sustain to improve the sustainability of an organization. And I think this can only be achieved through the collaboration of these three of domain experts, data scientists, and IT professionals. Yeah, so joining, joining forces and bringing um, the expertise um, to the table um, to generate or create something, something greater. Um, what I was uh, wondering a lot is because uh, when you're in the field of AI, um, we are often in the beginning of that innovation funnel. So there's a lot of concept creation. There's a lot of ideation, brainstorming, um, the, the design thinking concept phases. And uh, what we tend to do is to create a lot of prototypes, a lot of proof of concepts. Maybe we have an MVP. But 
I feel like there seems to be a big hurdle when it comes to really bringing AI innovations to production and um, going live with them. So where do you see the greatest challenges in the practical implementation of AI and what makes it so hard and so difficult to really successfully integrate AI? I think this is the key challenge um, of organizations right now in implementing AI. Moving from moving into real deployable, large-scale, valuable AI applications. Well, the most pressing challenge is, I think, first of all, onboarding business experts, onboarding domain experts into the AI journey. Because AI systems have probabilistic outcomes, this changes entirely the logic of IT systems versus AI-enabled systems. We do not have a deterministic logic anymore, but we have systems that make predictions in many cases. And these predictions are statistically good, but not always correct. So we at, that means we also need to embed these technologies in, in, in respective industrial or business contexts. And this is something where the onboarding and the ownership of business experts needs to be elevated. How do we do it? Through proper ways of collaboration. And that means that we do not just have the final idea, as you mentioned, nicely built, and then we try to get it to deployed or into production. But instead, we need to find ways to have very early on business expertise in the development. I'm not saying that the data scientists are not doing that, uh, but we have research showing 20 different problems that are exactly at that spot. Communication is not so, uh, people have different perspectives, different forms of communications, different ways of thinking, uh, lack of communication from one side to the other, business experts explaining the business problem, data scientists explaining the, the data solution and so on. I don't want to be too stereotypical here, but this is a very uh, critical collaboration and I think we need to get much better in doing so. The second point Uh, pressing challenges is um, scalable use cases. It's simple, uh, not so difficult to find islands of use cases that can be implemented, but we need to identify scalable AI use cases in robust ways and not focus too much on the small low-hanging fruits, which is very likely in a financial-driven organization. Uh, so show me the low-hanging fruits and try to realize that, but this is not the right approach. We need to have better scaling approaches. And lastly then, and this goes hand in hand with uh, this value orientation, managing a portfolio of valuable AI products effectively and reinforcing. That means it's a very big difference if you have 15 isolated AI use cases or if you have a coherent portfolio of how these uh, AI use cases or AI products um, are interdependently reinforcing and improving, uh, for example, a customer experience, an employee experience, or a business process. So having a coherent portfolio that is at the core of companies' uh, value creation, that is, I think, quite a pressing challenge. Yeah, super nice, actually. Um, so you just, you talked already about collaboration, right? And collaboration is also, you know, needed in terms of the collaboration between industry and academia, right? To advance the mm -hmm. field, also in human-centered mm -hmm. innovation and AI-enabled innovation. How do you see that? What's, you know, how do we, you know, can strengthen the collaboration in working together and advancing? Yeah, that's a very good question. And as you know, uh, 
the University of St. Gallen, we are very closely working with industry. So this is a topic I have um, that has accompanied me for the last eight years. Uh, and where I see are great opportunities. And I think these are also very important for both industry and academia. But uh, before speaking about uh, how do we do it, I mm. would like to first think about what are the strengths in such a partnership. Mm. Industry partners and industry companies have relevant problems, problems that are valuable to solve for a customer or for a user, right? And Industry companies have plenty of them. They have quite complex contexts and, and, and problems that need to be solved. And academics or academia typically has theory and concepts uh, that have been historically, that has evolved over, over many years. And sometimes they are top-notch, sometimes they are rather saturated. But these concepts can help significantly to structure and solve problems to enhance consistency, to ask the right questions, and also to create a shared understanding. So uh, I have personally benefited a lot from this industry-academia collaboration over the last years, and there are many ways to collaborate. I think this has changed also significantly over the last 20 years. Uh, universities today are very eager and open uh, to work with industry, and I also think that industrial professionals are more interested in And, and, and uh, in working with university. So some ways of doing that can be shared or joint research projects or shared research partnerships. For example, PhDs that spend 50% of their time in the company and 50% of their time at the university and the research team so that you have, uh, in German, we call it transfer über Köpfe, transfer through the heads that are... It can't be more German. Can't be yeah. no, no, no German. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you really try to, you know, create this this, this, this this diffusion of knowledge in between mm. these different worlds as most as effectively as possible and this is of course a larger commitment um, on the other hand we have these innovation programs like for example our design thinking for AI that helps mm. firms to explore such potentials with students so mm. it really depends a bit on who you want to bring together how complex the problem is but in general I would absolutely underline uh, to, to underline that and maybe one more thing, Universities have typically a huge network into it, or at least at the University of St. Gallen, we have a huge network. And that means that we can easily uh, see the connections in different organizations, right? And see parallels and, and help bring people together. And this is sometimes a bit difficult when you hire consultants they, uh, or when you have um, uh, industry competition, you don't have that. You can exclude that very much. Why should mm. an industrial manufacturing company not learn from a Swiss bank? Mm. or vice versa benjamin about that have you actually talked to your uh, or like have you received any feedback from your students if they actually prefer that way like if that you are so close to the industry and maybe work on a real world example um, in the course of your studies in a program like do you have any yeah any feedback or comments how your students but maybe also the industry sees that collaboration yeah yeah well Uh, absolutely. Our innovation ecosystem um, in the program has uh, a corporate liaison, an industry partner. We have the target group for whom an innovation is created. Uh, we have coaches. So there are four, four coaches and professors in the class for 30 students. So it's quite a high ratio. And then you have the, the professors with the, giving the, uh, the academic input on the method. 
And for students, it's an, it's a learning experience. It's, it's, it's quite an innovative way of teaching when you provide the means. So we have several principles. Students have ownership. They have a budget. Uh, they have, uh, they manage the project by themselves. Uh, they manage the relationship with the partner themselves, but they are coached. Uh, in the program to make sure that they can go through a relearning curve in their team and as individuals. We have reflections every now and then to make sure that uh, that the team is developing well and we address, of course, issues that come up um, as proactive as possible with the team or the team itself. So this is very much about enablement. And the industry and the real-world problem of a company gives it so much more relevance. I remember a student with glowing eyes standing there, but they need our help. And, and this was the moment where I really felt, okay, we have achieved what we wanted with this program. This, this level of ownership is fantastic. And of course, for industry, for industry partners, it's quite refreshing to work with five, six high potential students who are eager to run and who are um, creating an innovation in just three months. It is two weeks ago uh, that the vice president of a large company has invited our student team to come to, our, to a leadership conference and show what they have created in three months' time and why this cannot be done in a, in a huge organization like ours. So that makes me quite proud. But at the same time, um, uh, it's quite well received from a student perspective as well as from an industry perspective because it's this win-win win situation because the university also wins through this because the ties between university and industry are uh, improved to this and it's a very holistic approach and it mm. sounds very appealing so um, if i plan to do my master's another <laughs> one then i will consider st gallen for sure you're happy and to join <laughs> and with that um i would like to ask you um about a little outlook um, so we've talked a lot about uh, the technology on the one hand, uh, but also uh, we had a strong focus on the human, on the on the user. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see that like innovation in that field really evolving in the next five to ten years, maybe? Um, where do you see like the next big breakthrough or advance? <laughs> That's a difficult one. <laughs> That's a difficult one. Um, and if I think a bit about it. I think we come to a to a point where uh, where where companies and people start to realize that AI is not magic, and that it is a, a tool or a capability that needs to be built. I'm not so sure if, from a human-centered perspective, we will have this big breakthrough, but I expect rather a gradual improvement and a, a gradual growth and change in our working practices. The way we innovate AI systems and also the way we use AI in our working practices. And this change will go gradually because it's very deeply rooted in culture and the way we work with each other and the way how we interact. Yeah, nice. So if you if you if you then explore it a bit in the future, what kind of skills do you would you enforce on or recommend to students, right? What kind mm -hmm. of skills and at uh, qualifications are you know in this space needed? Mm -hmm. I think the skills that you need today uh, as compared to 20 years ago are different. They're much more focusing on the digital and there will, uh, for students as of today, I would recommend to for sure 
gain some programming experience uh, to, to understand, for example, the concept of computational thinking so that you can leverage uh, uh, computers and software uh, for your thinking and for building and achieving something. It certainly makes sense to get at least a foundational understanding of artificial intelligence, what it means to train AI models, and also what how traditional software programming is different from training AI models. Um, I think you should develop a versatility of, uh, of uh, skills in a variety of digital tools. For example, the one that we have mentioned, but also the many, many tools for prototyping. Mm. If uh, this... Not everything needs to perfectly uh, enable the back end, but really need to understand how you can prototype, test with customers. And then, of course, uh, thinking and writing. This sounds so fundamental, but this helps you in sharpening your thinking and your conceptual clarity when you want to achieve something. It helps you to really understand what you're doing and to um, to improve your, reflect, your, your ability to reflect on, on the results that you've generated. Um, those are very important skills. And since you already just started to um, to provide recommendations, we also wanted to ask you, um, maybe if you look back to the time when you were a student or when you um, had just started uh, to be a professor, um, is there any advice um, that you would like to share here that maybe you would have loved to, heard, uh, to hear back in the days? Um, so maybe someone who's like really purpose driven and wants to change something and maybe needs like that extra push. Uh, what would you tell that person? Mm -hmm. Well, this can be very fundamental. Um, I would encourage uh, students today to build something early on. With building something, I mean something digital, something scalable. Try things out, uh, go step by step and be open to learn something new And but do this with a permission to fail. Give yourself a permission to fail and to try out new things. The traditional uh, optimization of the CV uh, and all the, the different boxes that, that you are asked to go in are not so relevant. It's more important to learn something, to create a valuable skill and to improve that. And the best teacher is failure and the reflection you have about it. Um, I wrote quite a good quote this week. Um, which said the difference between what you have right now and where you want to go is skill. Nothing, if you're a talented young person, nothing in this world is really holding you back to achieve what you want. You can learn so many things and a lot of it is available for free. We have highly, ex uh, 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 highly accessible tools and methods and courses and I'd really encourage you to, you know, uh, uh, go shoot for the moon. Beautiful. What an advice. Um, that's like, Uli, actually, we should end here. <laughs> so stop. Yeah, so stop the recording now, right? Roll the tape, Everything right? was said. Roll the credentials now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Benjamin, we can't skip the last part because it's our... Um... No, even in 2023, <laughs> there will be always the authentic autocomplete coming in. Mm. Yeah, a little trademark. And um, mm -hmm. we want to play our final game with you. But first of all, thanks so much for the time, uh, for the the passion, and for all the insights you've heard. We, we've learned a lot today. Um, and for the closing, we would like to um, play our little game with you. And for that, mm -hmm. I would like to give you a couple of sentence starters, and would like uh, you to finish them. Mm -hmm. So, Benjamin, are you ready for the final cha challenge? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> You're ready. So AI is? An incredible opportunity for humans and companies to shape the future of our society. 
That's bold enough, right? I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's bold. <laughs> the University of St. Gallen is. It's a great place for innovation where sometimes things are possible that are not possible somewhere else. Oh, Beautiful. That's cool. If someone says this about a corporate or some institute, that's really nice, isn't it? Yeah. That sounds really flavoring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Having a growth mindset means. Stay curious and learn every day. Agreed. Happiness is. The little things you experience every day. Yeah, like this podcast, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, if I could invent one rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? Never stop learning. Here we go. That's that's the final, right? Benjamin, So thank you so much for being that open passion, you know, and very, very shareable and approachable, actually, in, you know, getting a bit of a glimpse how, how you operate, how you operate also with students and intact with students. So it, we really, really appreciate your time in this case. Abri and Uli, thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, and folks out there, act with Benjamin on LinkedIn, right? Google him up, right? Or on the webpage, uh, apply, you know, on, on his PhD thesis uh, or uh, as a graduate, right? Much, much, much of an awesome dude, actually. And um, obviously comment on our posts, right? What we can improve and make better. And until the next podcast, stay bold, committed, and open-minded. And we hear us definitely at the next Siemens Eale podcast. Cheers. Mm -hmm.